Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Father, you did not call me to be on the sidelines. For your mission, for your kingdom. Oh, that's good. We're going to say that again. Say, Father, you did not call me to be on the sidelines for your mission, for your kingdom. All right, we got one more. Here it is. Say, Father, I do not want to be on the sidelines for your mission, for your kingdom. I want you to say this. If there's glory in me because of you, in me. I want to see it. I want to know it. And I want to release it. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. When you look at God's vision for his church, the only word I can think of to say it, and I love the way God does this because it was already in my notes and Pastor Ruth had a word, the prophetic word this morning about this word overwhelming, too much for us to handle, too much for us to take in. The only word that I have when you see how God describes what he wants for his church on earth is overwhelming. I want to share just a few sentences of that vision for his church. And as I share it this morning, I want you to see you, what you just laid your hand on your chest to say, God, I want you to do this in me. I want you to see you in his church, specifically I want you to see you in his church in Tampa Bay at Overflow Church, overflowing in the way that God would have you go. These are words that come from Ephesians chapter 4. And this is what it says of God's dream for his church. And he, God, has appointed some with grace to be apostles, and some with grace to be prophets, and some with grace to be evangelists, and some with grace to be pastors, some with grace to be teachers. And their calling, those leaders within the church, their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. That's us. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. What is it? We're built up and we're sent out. But now listen. It says these grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness in the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God, and we finally become one into a perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity, fully developed into the abundance of Christ. 
and then our immaturity will end. We will not be easily shaken by trouble, nor led astray by novel teachings, or by the false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. But instead, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. And all of our direction and all of our energy and all of our focus and all of our thoughts and all of our ministries will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into Christ, the anointed head of his body, the church for his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. What? What? Let me say it one more time in case you missed it. What? Is the word of God true? I mean, and I'm not saying like the way that when, when your kid gets hurt as a dad and you're thinking like, oh my gosh, are we going to have to amputate the leg and it looks terrible, but you look at him and you're like, you're going to be okay, son. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when God makes a promise, has he ever failed to deliver on something he said? Listen, faith has got to arise in this room because here's the deal. We didn't erupt and explode when this scripture was done reading and that's not a condemnation. That's merely a gap in us actually believing that the word of God is true. Is the word of God true? Here's the reason that matters. Here's the reason I can't be casual about that because if the word of God is true, then that means that this is our destiny for the church in the here and now. Why? Because the leaders at the beginning of this passage are not leaders in heaven one day. They're leaders that have been released on earth today. Apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, which means that this, not the drama you're hearing, not the news feed, this is the church that Jesus is building. And my God, who has never broken a promise, told me something. He said, I will build my church which means in the land of the living with our own eyes, if you think things are getting darker outside, this is where the true church is headed. This is the next chapter of our journey. And we can't afford to treat it as if it's sentimental, nice words. Because I want you to see what Jesus actually says, and we're going to have to make a choice. We either need to declare him a lunatic or a liar, or we need to allow our faith to arise and actually believe him. This is true. What does he say is going to happen for the church? He said this. He said that God's blueprint for the church would be that a multiplicity of complementary leaders would rise up, each presenting a different shade of the total picture of Christ on earth, and that we would work together, that we would trust a multiplicity of voices, that we wouldn't see one picture of Jesus and go, I really like that, that's holy, but then look at another picture of Jesus and say, that's not really for me, and they need to be more like that. That we would recognize the multiplicity of grace that God wants to release, that we'd recognize the multiplicity of how his spirit shows up in lives, and that we would come under it and receive it so that together we would equip sons and daughters of every age and every stage out in the front lines, that the saints would be sent to do the global work of the ministry, not the pastors. That we would be built up and that we would be sent 
out. If this is true, this is what he says is on the table today. He says what's on the table for the church today is the fullness of knowing Jesus. What? If what he said is true, okay? He's either Lord or liar or lunatic, but if what he said is true, what he said is through the church, guess what? That's us. We're the church, yes? yes. You with me? Yes. He said that through the church, that what we'd see not one day in heaven, but two day on earth, is that we would see and experience the fullness, not part of the picture, not a sliver, not a preview before heaven like I was taught, but that today we would know the fullness of knowing Christ. Let me tell you something about the fullness of knowing Christ. It says that the way that Jesus has loved us is higher and deeper and wider than we could ever possibly imagine. In fact, it says that he's loved us in a way that we do not even have the capacity to understand or describe or explain the depth of his love for us. So do you know what happens if you're going to experience the fullness of a God who's loved you in a way that your vessel cannot contain? you're going to spiritually explode. That's what's going to happen. Because if we experience the fullness of how he loves us, we can't hold it into ourselves anymore. We'll no longer be saying, well, I'm really more of an, of an introvert, not an extrovert, or I'm really more of you know, a word person and not a worship person. We'll be at the point that we'll say, no, 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 I've seen Jesus, and in all of his fullness, in all of my mess, he really loves me, and I can't be silent about it anymore. Why do I get excited? That's three words in a few sentences of what God's desire is for the church. Because what happens when we walk together is that we would know the fullness of knowing Jesus. He goes further than that. He says that we would know and reach the complete measure of our potential. And the result would be that the church would be known for our immaturity coming to an end. That we would no longer be tossed by our circumstances or accusation or drama, but the church of the living God would be known for more than anything else for walking with the God of truth and speaking the truth on earth, that our words would have substance, that they would matter, that they would change things. We speak the truth. We do it always and only love. And he says that when we do this, that we actually lead creation, not just to go to a church service, not just to get a heavenly Uber one day to be taken out of this place and go be with him and the angels in glory, but that today, the church would be known for leading creation to grow up into Christ. To discover and develop and deploy the unique glory they were always created to bring. I got to tell you, when I hear that vision of the church, I get excited. Because it's glorious. And if I'm going to believe that God is not a liar then I believe it's on the table today. And I don't know about you, but I'm not willing, especially before Thanksgiving. Listen, Thanksgiving, I don't want to leave anything on the table, right? Anybody with me? I am not willing to leave something on God's table for what he says is available for his church. So I say with you this morning, Lord, you didn't make me to be on the sidelines. You didn't make Overflow Church to be on the sidelines. If there's a glory in us, we want in. That's the picture of where the church is headed, and it's glorious. It will require a significant course correction in what we have popularly called church for the last few hundred years. See, right now what we're experiencing in churches is what I could only call a pastor overload, pastor burnout. We have ministers that are burned out, and we have church members that are bored. 
One, literally burning like a candle where they can't go anymore, and the other one, not even motivated enough to get up. Why are we seeing this in the church? I think it's because we fail to recognize the heart of God's call. Where Ephesians 4 calls for five different types of leaders within the church, we have only really, in the last few hundred years of our culture, accepted one title, pastor. And we've expected that one title to do the entire work of fivefold ministry. Here's what I mean. We show up, and I, I don't know about you, but if you could think back to your church experience. So I had a Pentecostal holiness grandma that, man, we went to church and, whoo, it was something. And then I had a conservative Baptist grandparents that I'd go stay the other weekends during the summer, and it was like, are we worshiping the same God? But we were. It was amazing. In this place, I learned the majesty and the beauty of God. In this place, I learned the power of God. But when I went in, I and it was always a guy, and don't even get me started on the rant of that, ladies. There's a guy called the pastor. And what I found in every church that I went from that point all the way forward, over 20 years being here and walking in a lot of different churches, a lot of different families, going through Bible college, going through seminary, I've seen this attitude that has developed among really good churches, really good pastors. It is really dysfunctional. We'll keep the glory within the walls and we'll burn out pastors, make board uh, church members. This. They show up and they say, I expect the pastor to be my shepherd. That's his job. He's the pastor. We expect the pastor at every hospital visit, expect the pastor to know every family need, know everything that's happening in my family and in my life. And beyond that, I expect the pastor to regularly connect, meet with me, pray with me, because after all, his job is to be with me. After all, he's my pastor. Go further than that, we expect the pastor to be the teacher. Pastors to be the best at communicating the word of God. They're to be engaging and powerful and relevant and humorous and not in that really cheesy way that they think they're humorous. They're to give us all of the feedback. After all, their job is to We expect the pastor to be apostle. Pastor is to be the leadership guru. They're to be fluent in the irrefutable laws of leadership, a master of finances, an expert in organizational order. We don't say it, but we expect them to be in every meeting to ensure that the ministries of the church are headed in the right direction. But beyond that, we also expect them to be available for counsel of every family. Restoration of their past, problem solving in their present, preparation of their future. After all, it's the job of the pastor to build me. Expect the pastor to be prophet, that he or she is called to hear God regularly and specifically for me, my life, my family, my job, check in. Tell me what God is saying, because after all, it's the job of the pastor to direct me. We expect the pastor to be evangelist. I mean, the pastor's the one that gets paid, after all, so they're the ones that need to lead the charge for the lost to come in through creative series, and excellent events, and powerful outreaches, because their job is to grow the kingdom. All too often what I've watched Great churches, great pastors allow the placing of all of that. One person carries the title pastor. Expecting the entire fivefold ministry to flow through them to every member. The saddest part I've seen is this, guys, is I've walked with a lot of pastors. Headline that most pastors walk through the day, whether they can say it or not, not the glory or blessing they bring Harrison and sting in the shortfall of everything. They walk around, whether they've heard it from church members or not, with the feeling of, well, they're not as good of a community as the last pastor. 
or they don't really call me and pray with me as regularly as so-and-so, or I wish they had the same warmth as this one, or I wish they had the same kind of energy as this pastor that I watch on TV, or, you know, they're a good communicator. They can preach the word, but they're not a leader like. And as a result, what we've seen is a pastor burnout. So I've spent some time as I've been praying a lot, spending my life around a lot of pastors, a lot of ministers, a lot of churches. And I've seen through a lot of research and walking together some statistics I want to share. Now, I want to give a warning about statistics. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said that 83% of statistics on the internet are made up. So somebody's going to get that a little bit later today. Or they're going to need to go take a history class. Um, I want to tell you this much, though. The reason I share these statistics is because as I've looked and I've really prayed about the relationships that I've walked with with ministers, I'll tell you these hot on to me. Current stats show this. 29% of pastors actually considered quitting the full-time ministry on their career path in the past year. By the way, that statistic was taken pre-COVID. 71% of pastors feel on call 24-7. 63% of them consider their calling frequently overwhelming. I want you to understand what that means. That means in a regular rhythm of their life, they feel like it's too much to be placed on their well and in a healthy manner. 90% of pastors experience financial stress and nearly half seriously are seriously concerned about their family's financial. Over 50% of pastors have indicated that they 80% of spouses spouse would join. One out of every 10 men as a minister actually retire as a minister. Now, I want to tell you something when I hear that those are sobering statistics. I also believe what Pastor Ruth talked about, about the fact that we have an opportunity to agree with heaven and change our declaration. Now, that will not be the reality of pastors in the area. This is not going to be our inheritance. It's not going to look I want you to understand what's in here. We fail to understand God's diversity, develop and develop. Pastors out and if you look at Ephesians 4, that passage that talked about all the promises of God, if we were to take everything that he said he wants to build, flip it, what would happen if we were what I would call the unequipped church? What happens when we won't dissent? This. That we would be scattered and disassembled instead of built up. We have lots of really powerful pieces, but they don't really know how to work together. That we'd have distrust and drama instead of unity. That we'd walk in ignorance instead of the knowledge of God. That when you talk to people in the church, it would always be, I need another conference, I need another message, I need somebody else to pray for me because I'm not yet ready to carry what God says that I have. We'd be known by immaturity instead of maturity. And I would give the statistic to tell you in all of my life, I've met very few people who have a problem with Jesus. I've met lots of people who have problems with the We'd be a church that would be marked by unrealized potential instead of fullness. We'd be easily unsettled and fearful instead of anchored and secure. We'd find ourselves growing apart from love instead of growing up in love. And that's heavy to hear. If you've been around me any period of time, you're going to find that I'm not a pessimist. I'm an optimist. Because there's got to be a better way than building a church that looks like this. Amen? And praise God, there is. 
And you look in, in Ephesians, and I want to tell you, this is one of the things you're going to see when you study your Bible. We have this way of kind of proof texting that we'll pull out a Bible verse and we'll put it and knit it on a pillow or put it in a song. We don't recognize the context in which it came. I want you to understand every Bible verse you see came from a greater message. And even that that we just said in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul started the conversation a chapter before that in his letter in Ephesians chapter 3. And this is what he said. And I want you to hear with new ears today. I want you to go back to the moment we had at the very beginning where you laid your hand on your chest and you said, I don't want to be on the sidelines of the mission of God. I don't want you to hear another word that I'm going to say through a lens of heaviness. I want you to hear it through a lens of opportunity. God starts through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, and he says this about the church. He says, and grace was given to bring to light for everyone. Someone say everyone. Who does everyone include? That's it. It includes me. It includes you. It includes everyone. God has a plan. What is it? It's grace. Who is this grace for? It's available for everyone. And here's the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. That's what he's saying. God's had a plan. He's about to pull an M. Night Shyamalan on the earth and give us a surprise ending. He's about to come with something we've never seen before, something that he said in every way would silence the powers and authorities. What is it? It's this, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities heavenly. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be revealed to now that phrase, rulers and authorities in heavenly places, it shows up again in Ephesians. What it's referring to is two types of forces. Angelic forces who have been sent to serve those who will inherit salvation, that's us. And demonic forces come on the earth to oppose the plans and purposes of God. When they talk of rulers and powers and principles and authorities, they're talking about those. God says that he has a plan. And this plan, when properly understood, is going to dispatch angels and serve an eviction notice for the enemy. What is it? It's that the church would release the manifold wisdom of God. That means the many diverse shades or colors of his love and power and beauty. It means every shade of Jesus, not just a few celebrity pastors, would be released upon the earth for grace given to the body of Christ. How in the world? That's Right. Ephesians chapter 4, he says this. He continues on this thought. He says, but grace given to each one of us. Are you seeing a theme? There's grace. It's been given. You know what given means? You can't earn it. You can't study harder for it. You can't take a test to get it. You can't purchase it. It's just given. It's just yours. You can only come into agreement with it. Who needs to come into agreement with it? Each one of us. Because grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then it says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists. So I don't want you to miss this. This is the picture God is saying that I get deliriously excited about. And in case you're wondering, I'm actually an introvert. Who's, you can ask my kids when they're around me at home. I'm actually pretty calm and quiet most of the time. But when I get around Jesus and his plans for the church, I can't shut up. I go home almost every Sunday with my voice gone. People are like, he's yelling, and I'm, I'm trying not to. This is me talking quiet right now about how excited I am about the plans of God on planet Earth. That's why I'm sitting right now so that I don't just launch out of this place. Here's what God is saying. He's got a plan on the Earth. His plan is he wants to show the entire world him, the fullness of his glory, that God is not angry. By the way, anybody grow up being taught God was angry? God's angry and ticked off at creation. God's, two people were taught God was angry. 
Did we all grow up in a different church? Did anybody grow up hearing God was angry? And if it's only two people, praise God. But I grew up in a place where I was told God was angry. God was so ticked off at us that we should be happy that he sent his son in his, in his place to come die for us because otherwise he couldn't even look at us. My problem with that is the Bible says that the lamb was slain from the, the creation and foundation of the world, meaning before Jesus chose to create you, he was already on the cross paying for you. So there's never been a moment where God has been walking in anger, only adoration towards you. He wants all of creation to know the fullness of his glory. That's his plan. How's he going to do it? Through the church. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, can we, can we do that you come back again thing with the miracles where you go through the town? Because <laughs> that seemed to be pretty cool. We keep talking about that. We got lots of Bible studies about that. You know, Jesus actually said it's for your benefit, for creation's benefit that I go away. Because when I go away, the comforter is going to come to you, and you will do the same things I've been doing, greater things I go. Father, and I believe once again, I just want to say this, my God has never lied. That has to actually be true. It means we live in the age where we can actually see that on planet Earth. What's his plan? Church. That the church would move together in unity and trust the leadership of diverse leaders given to her apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, that we wouldn't have a one-fold ministry, but that we would release and applaud the diversity. And here's what I mean. You see right now on planet Earth, apostolic churches. And if you don't know what any of these words mean, don't worry. In just a second, I'm going to make them make sense. But you see apostolic churches that are all about building things, that are all about we're going to the city and we're changing things. There's been a tendency for far too long for apostolic churches to look down on prophetic churches because apostolic churches are all about let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And prophetic churches are all about let's stop. Day, here. There are places where the two of them have run and then there have been evangelistic churches that have been judged because they said, oh, you're just trying to be seeker sensitive. You're just trying to tell people that are far away from God that there's a way that they can come, but you don't get into deep things. Teaching churches would bring and so on and so forth. And what God is saying is, hey, the time needs to come where the church stops using the word or and starts using the word and. God hasn't showed up on planet Earth just for an apostolic church. It's an apostolic church and a prophetic church and an evangelistic church and a pastoral church and a teaching church. And guess what? Spoiler alert, they're all as spiritual as the last one. The church has to be at the day where we stop talking about who's more spiritual and having these competitions together. It says that the church is going to move in this way that if we'd be willing to recognize the diversity of gifts that are We'd be willing to have leaders that would step up in the diversity of those gifts and equip us that all of us walk in a grace that would change. So I want you to say this. Say the word all. Say it again. All. All, all is a good word because it means all. All of us have graces in our life. Some. Somebody say the word some. Some of us are called to the office of equippers. All of us walk in a measure of grace from God, but some people are called from God to actually equip that grace to the rest of us. How in the world do we know who's called to be a five-fold leader in the church? And here's the surprise. It's not who's more spiritual or who's better. If you still have the view that if you serve as a plumber, that's less spiritual than serving as a pastor, you drank the Kool-Aid. That's wrong. Somebody's like, check that out later. Talk to your parents. Sorry. If we're still believing that if you serve within the church, that's a higher calling than releasing glory in the marketplace, then we've believed the separation of sacred and secular that Jesus came to demolish 2,000 years ago. He's the Lord of all the earth. All the earth is his. So it's not when I get more spiritual that I'm going to be a five-fold leader. 
No, there are people who God has equipped in a specific way that has a super anointing in one of these graces we're about to talk about. That anybody who looks at them is like, man, that's you. You walk as a teacher. That's just what you do. You take complex things and you make them simple. That you have a great anointing and you have the ability, the calling, and the authority as recognized by the church to equip others in. That makes sense? Somebody walking as a five-fold teacher, it's not just they're a great communicator and they can teach and wow, man, can they bring it. If they're a five-fold leader, it's yes, they can teach, but then when they get around you, they help you understand mysteries so that in your own voice, you can teach. Five-fold leaders are actually called to serve the church, and I want you to understand that five-fold leaders are recognized by the already existing leaders of the church. That's why if you ever meet somebody that's a self-proclaimed apostle or a self-proclaimed evangelist, run. And I mean it in love. But it's like the person who shows up and tells you, I'm a leader, I'm a leader, I'm a leader, and nobody's following them, and they haven't been following them in the fruit of their life. No, they're just a person going out for a walk, and they're lost. That's what's going on. So a five-fold leader in the church is somebody you'll look at. So I want to tell you how this happened this past year. I walk as an apostolic teacher. I walk as an apostle and a teacher within the church, which what that means is I build things, and I take complex things and I make them simple. So where there's work together, a lot of times that people are going to hear my messages, they're going to be like, wow, there's a lot of content. And you're trying to take some idea that maybe we haven't understood for a long period of time. And you're trying to bring understanding. I want you to know that I'm not being prideful in thinking that our ancestors who came before us didn't do it right. I'm simply seeing for today a blueprint God has. Seeing how we lay a foundation and then how we put up the walls and we frame it in. It was an apostolic teacher. That's what I bring. What we noticed this past year as a church there was another grace that needed to be released fully to run. So we saw Pastor Aaron, our outreach and missions pastor. We said, now's the time to bring Pastor Aaron fully on staff, full time, because God has called her as a five-fold apostolic evangelist. And as an evangelist, she carries something in the kingdom that she can equip in your life that I can't. So we need to have more times where Pastor Aaron, and sure enough, a few weeks ago, Pastor Aaron was up here ministering. And we as the church, by the way, I thank God that he's doing it here. But let me tell you what happens when you're going to choose just to walk out those two. People are going to start to pick and choose. People who have more of a teaching grace in their life are going to be like, I really like it more. I don't get what. People who are more evangelistic are like, Pastor Chuck, just get to the point. For the love of God. The fact that more people laughed at that one, I'm concerned. But I'm here to equip you to a better way today. What ends up happening in the church is we choose competition and we see one frame of glory that we say is, this is God and this is God. And inevitably, we out other ones, we, we lower them. God said, as long as that happens, the church is going to be caught within her walls, her seat. Disassembled and not built up. The church has to be the church of Anne that says, hey, the glory in Pastor Chuck, whether I get it or I don't, I need it. Five-fold apostle and a five-fold teacher. Glory in Pastor Aaron. Whether I get it or not, I need it. By the way, when people show up to me and say, that was the best message you ever preached, I hope you understand that says more about you than that says about me. And I mean that as the greatest encouragement to you. When you hear something, you're like, that's the best message. It probably wasn't they just geared it up and did, did better that week. Probably they spoke to something that's the glory in you. So let the teacher in me just equip something in you. When you get really fired up when a certain thing is talked about in the kingdom, that's because you've been called as a frontline leader there, and we can move better than just telling the person, man, you got it right this week. But instead what we say, and none of you do that. Um, but instead what we would say is, no, that's something that fires me up. But let me say this. When you come into a week that you're like, that one agitated me. You actually needed that message. Because iron only sharpens iron through friction. 
okay? So we talk about iron sharpening iron. I love how we put that on like t-shirts and stuff. We want to be iron sharpening iron. I'm like, you realize you're talking about fighting, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's what you're talking about. You're saying I want to be in a place where I'm in relationships where we can be safe enough that we can be uncomfortable to disagree and not get to the place where we get offended, but we actually become stronger. That's God's vision for his church, a multifaceted church. So I want you to understand this. All of us have graces. Some of us are called to equip. And I want to unpack this, and I don't want us to miss what this looks like. So I want to give you a few notes about God's graces in you. In just a minute, I'm going to define what apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, and teaching grace is. And I hope you won't check out and think those are words I've never heard. Because the first thing I want to tell you is this. All, somebody say all. All of these graces are in you because the Holy Spirit is in you. So all the ones I'm going to talk about, you don't have the option. It's not an a la carte menu to go, I'll take this one and not that one. But for some of you, like, I'm an introvert. I don't really have the evangelistic in me. Sorry, I'm going to get you off of that hook today. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, so all of these graces are in you. And listen, that's the only way you could actually be equipped. The only way a measure can increase in you is there was a measure there to start with. You get that? So all of these, say all. All of these are in you because the Holy Spirit's in you. Some, say some. Some of these operate naturally in you, and they have for as long as you can remember. I'll tell you what I mean. So before I cognitively knew that I was following Jesus, I was, but my mind hadn't caught up with it yet because I hadn't walked the aisle and I hadn't prayed the prayer and I hadn't done the things that the church I went to told me I needed to do. But I was a follower of Jesus. At the age of 12, my uncle taught me how to play football, and it lit me up. I loved football. And what I found, remember I told you I'm an apostolic teacher. I see destiny, I build things, I build people, I build systems, and I teach. And at 12 years old, nobody had to tell me, the minute my uncle taught me football, the very first thing I did was I went out and I built a neighborhood football league with all of my friends and called them all around and said, all right, everybody who doesn't know how to play football, come on. And I'm coming like I'm Vince Lombardi, right? Like, I'm going to be the genius. And I got home that night with, like, magazines, and I'm like, I even got a book from the library. I'm like, I just need to stay three steps ahead of them. That's all I got to do. Why? Because from the earliest point, God called me to be an apostle to build and a teacher to teach. So some of these graces in your life, when we start talking about them, the person you came to church with is going to start nudging you and go, that one. That's you because you do that without even thinking about it. But I want you to understand it gets better than that. So say again the word some. Some of these graces are not your strength at all. But for some reason, it's stirring with a passion every time you hear it talked about within church. Every time you hear an author, books are starting to come to you. People are suggesting things to you, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that about, I've never known how to hear the voice of God, but now it won't leave me, that, I'm, that I want to hear the voice of God. I want to know the prophetic. I want to know how to walk in that. I want you to understand that some things are going to be growing in your life right now, but God wants to grow that thing in this season for the sake of you, his child, and for the sake of his church. So when you look at these graces, remember, this is it. You have all of them because the Holy Spirit's in you. Some of them are going to be obvious because they've always been in you. They've never wavered. They've never changed. It's just how you see the world, and it's a gift. But some of them are going to raise up in this season right now because God is wanting in some way to release it in your life. The last one I want to say is this, and then I want to talk about what they are and what they look like in community. These graces only are in your life in These graces only mature in your life in community, not in a classroom, not in a conference, not listening to your favorite YouTube speaker or your favorite podcast, not reading a book or a magazine. It can't just happen on Sunday mornings with one or two people with the title of pastor ministering. No fivefold leaders must use their voice to put you in environments where you're equipped 24-7 to live out the glory in you in your city. So let me tell you a note about us, because you're going to notice if you go on our website that all of our leaders 
have the name pastor. There's a very clear reason for that. Because the name apostle would freak people out in our city. So what we've chosen to do is we've chosen to recognize that 200 years, pastor, for better or worse, has been a title, and all of us are called to be shepherds, so all of us said, no, listen, the shepherd is in us. So what that means is you might not know this about me, but the shepherding grace is not near the top in my life. But if ever you've been around me, I hope you would say, gosh, you're very fatherly, and you're very safe, and you're very gentle, and very loved by you. The point that some people might think, you're a shepherd. Well, no, the, the shepherd lives in me. That grace is in me. So as I've walked, he's equipped it in me. So all of our five-fold leaders, though they have the name pastor, they operate as apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Let me speak for all of us this morning. We don't come on Sunday morning and say, on Sunday morning, we're going to equip the church. No, on Sunday morning, we're going to give the marching orders to put you in environments where you can be equipped because the grace in you can only be equipped by coming up into measure with the grace in someone else in real space, real time. Let me go a little further than that. Real space and time. Do you ever... Don't look around the room for this, okay, please? This would not be safe. You ever have that Christian that just annoys the living daylights out of you and you don't know why? That person that does that thing and whatever that thing is that you're like, oh, God. And I'm not even talking about the one that just they say they follow Jesus. It's like you legitimately know they follow Jesus. But if today I were to say, I'm going to put you in a small group with them, you're like, I'm out. I'm done. I don't think Jesus come back, right? Can, can we be honest? Does anybody have something like that that that... They have something, they're following Jesus, but it agitates you. Let me tell you, that's more of the reason you actually need to be in community. We have this tendency to only want to get around people who see the world the way we see it. Jesus said, here's the problem. Then we become the blind, leading the blind into the same ditches and not knowing because we're all blind. And this is what I found about churches for a long time. If I could just be on a soapbox for a minute, I promise we'll get out by three o'clock today. Here's what happens when the blind lead the blind into a ditch. The blind don't see what they're doing. So they run off in some direction, they do something that's dysfunctional, they fall in a ditch, and then they call out, persecution, persecution in the name of Jesus. I'm being opposed because I'm standing for the things of God. And I've watched it happen again, again, and again. You get prophetic people that get around other prophetic people. Guess what? When you get prophetic people only around prophetic people, I don't mean this as a judgment, but sometimes they just get a little weird. And they start doing things that are a little weird. Because they're only around prophetic people, and they all understand the same language. They're like, oh, that's really cool, right? And so they're going around everywhere just, you know, talking about how God's going to increase your anointing, this, that, and the other. And they're going out on the street and talking to people who are far from God and wondering why people are like, I don't want anything to do with you. They don't have an evangelist present to go, hey, what's stirring in your heart is awesome. You're freaking out lost people right now. You're coming off just a little weird. So the blind lead the blind into a ditch, and then what happens is after that, they go, oh, we're just being persecuted for doing righteousness. And unfortunately, if that's what you believe, odd card, there's no coming back from it. And what you do is you double down. You get even weirder. We're going to be undignified like David, right? And they just go. <laughs> and it's because we don't understand what a diverse church looks like. So humility and teachability has to be the key. But I want you to, I want you to know this when I talk about these graces. And I hope that you know this is our landing point. So where we've gone this morning, there's a few things that I hope you've seen as we've talked. The first is this. I hope you've seen that God has a vision for his church it would have us be anything but bored and just not put you on the sideline. I hope that you would recognize right now that in Brandon, the Bay, and beyond, there is a glory in you that creation is yours. There's something deeper that's Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's really, really good. And maybe you've been in the place where people misunderstand the glory in you. You've wanted to back away, and you're not even being that. But I want to call you back into community, into a place where that distinct thing you bring is no longer going to be seen as a distraction or a deterrent, or you being critical, or you being annoying. It'll be seen as Christ, you. 
So I'm going to assume something in the next few minutes. I'm going to assume that you don't want to be on the sidelines. I'm going to assume that you want to be a part of a church where the glory in you can actually be free. I'm going to assume that you don't want to be the blind leading the blind into a ditch, that you're willing to get around and walk in community with people who see the world differently than you. That's where iron sharpens iron. I'm going to assume right now that you believe that it would be true that God calls diverse leaders, not just one person with the title of pastor to lead the church, and those diverse leaders equip measures in us, which means there's something greater for all of us if we'd walk together. So in that, I want to look at these graces and what they'd look like in community. And I hope in the next few minutes, tell what we're talking about. So all of these graces are in use. So these fivefold graces set up. The first one is this, is apostolic. It's what we'd call an apostolic grace. Word apostolic, it literally means to send. When we talk about an apostolic grace, it's to send someone to the place they are appointed. When you see apostolic, by the way, apostolic, that we normally use the word leader. All of these are leaders, but we really recognize entrepreneurs, a lot of times it's an apostolic calling. They see something on the earth that isn't being built yet. They see a need that's not being met. And they see a way that it would change our city, and they go. They are people of action. They move. They can see the, de the destiny in people, in regions, and in organizations. They're like a laser that can see what somebody was created for. And they're very unapologetic about three things. They protect, they build, and they send. And I want you to know right now, even if you're like the quietest person in the room, like the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is in you, the apostolic is in you, and he wants us to increase in your life. There are places where he wants you to protect, build, and send. Apostolic people, if this is you, I would say you're like an incubator. What you do is you come around and you cover people and you can see something in them they can't even see in themselves. So in the apostolic in me, it's like I can look at Nathan and I can see something that God put in Nathan, whether Nathan sees it or not yet. And I say, hey, Nathan, if you would just trust me, you just borrow my faith for a minute. This is what I can see in you. And by the way, Nathan is incredibly prophetic. Nathan hears from the voice of God. He's, I would say, prophetic shepherd is the way that Nathan operates in life. So he's going to love you. You ever want to be encouraged, be seen, be felt. But then more than that, not just hear Nathan give you encouraging words, but hear words from heaven that will change your life. Nathan, you've done that in my life. You're a prophetic shepherding grace that is strong in your life. So as I see some things, what I would be able to see for Nathan right now, if we were to sit and talk, if we were to interrupt this church service, and Nathan and I were just to catch up, I would be able to see for Nathan right now where I'd say, hey, Nathan, these things that you're doing in your life based on who you are are a distraction. These need to go. These ones right now, this is where you need to build bricks in the wall because I can see who God called you. This thing that you've been thinking about raising up, you need to raise up, and here's how you build that foundation really well. That's what an apostolic leader is going to do in your life. Now, here's the deal. In community, if you don't understand that, that apostolic leader is going to be seen as very annoying. They're going to be seen as prideful. They're going to be seen as who the heck do you think you are. They're going to be seen as you just know how to do everybody's job better than no, apostolic leaders have this ability to protect. They want to build you up. They want to send you. Apostolic leader, their favorite word is go. They are people of action. I want to send you so you can go. Second kind of leader is a prophetic leader. Prophetic leaders are people that interpret treasures and mysteries from God to people. Did you know that's what's meant by prophecy? Maybe you've gotten a bad picture, a bad taste in your mouth from prophecy because you've seen some things from the Old Testament or the time of the cross. But I want you to know, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 3, what the Bible says about New Testament prophecy is every word that is given is only given for speaking, encouragement, and comfort. So if you're walking around to everybody going, you're a loser, God hates you, and you're going to hell, I'm a prophet. No, you're not. You're a liar, and that's offensive to the heart of God because the Lamb of God was already slain. He loves his children. He only wants to heaven right now. Speaking, encouragement, and comfort. Now, let me say this. Sometimes to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Prophecy can come with correction. These people... 
Prophetic people, this is important because God is always speaking. Anybody have a time in your life where you don't know where to go or what to do? Be really great to hear from God what he wants. Prophetic people, tune the rhythm of their life to hear from God and to share what it is he's saying on earth. Where an apostolic leader, their word is go. For a prophetic leader, their word is stop. Prophets always want to say, let's stop and listen. Let's hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying. That's why even in those two, you could see how they could really grate against one another if we're not careful. Prophetic people are always saying there's a word from heaven that would direct your life and we just need to stop and we need to hear what he's saying so that we build correctly. That third grace, evangelistic grace. Evangelistic grace is to bring people into life-changing union with the God who is good. Evangelistic people, they embody the gospel everywhere they go to every person they meet. If you want to know who they are at Overflow Church, it's been like Disney World the last six weeks for them. Evangelistic people can't shut up. They're like, hey, I'll pick you up early for church. We'll go to both services. I'll buy you coffee. This is the most amazing service ever. Evangelistic people, you've all come up to me and told me that my last six messages are the best that I've ever preached. Might tell you a little more about you. Evangelistic people are known for being personal and relational. They have a deep desire to free people from the confines of religious rules and baggage that makes them believe that God is distant and disappointed and disinterested. I would say for an evangelistic person, one of your favorite words is today. Today is the day of salvation. You say, come now. Don't clean yourself up. Don't figure it up. Today he loves you. Today he's enough. Jump on in. The water's fine. That fourth type of leader, that fourth type of grace, I want you to remember these are all in you. And they're meant to increase as we walk as the church together in community. Pastoral grace. Care for the spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of a person or a group of people, shepherd cares. You'll always know a pastoral person. They're gentle, they're safe. They lead people to safe environments and their biggest concern is for people to rest, be fed, for their wounds to be tended. They're gonna care a lot about the priorities and the rhythms of their life. They always wanna hear you. They have a compassion for the one. In fact, when you start getting into the place with uh, um, pastoral people, They'll hear the apostles and the evangelists going, let's go, there's a mission, let's run. And they will be the ones to show up in community and go, wait, hey, wait, wait a second, before we run, how well are we loving the people here? And I want to say this, if you don't recognize that that's not little faith of the person that's not willing to really risk for God, but that's actually another shade of Jesus you desperately need, then you can religiously put shackles on a shepherding person, a spirit. They don't believe God enough when actually what they're trying to do God, by the way, all children, lost, saved, white, black, young, old, they're all his favorite and beloved. They're all made in his image. So what that means is when pastoral people say, yes, we need to love the people we haven't met yet that are far from God, we better make sure that what we're going with is, is a safe environment where we have already loved well the people that are already walking. So for them, they care about family. They care about deep communities where you belong. I would say for a pastoral person, probably one of their favorite words is see. I see you. You. you matter. The last one, the teaching grace. Teaching grace makes difficult things clear, and I would say it would be like bringing bread from a high shelf that is inaccessible down to the lowest place where the youngest child can take it, eat it. Teaching grace shows up in life where if an apostolic leader will tell you, hey, this is the trajectory for your life, and this is the plot where you need to go to build land, the teacher will tell you how to build a blueprint of the house on that land. Teachers are all about processes and details that are needed so they would stand. So where an apostolic leader is going to run and be like, just trust Jesus. The teacher is going to say, yeah, I'm going to run alongside you right now. But 
Because as we're going, there's going to be a whole lot of things you're going to have to do or this is going to be disastrous. So teachers are very detailed and they give lots of process. On Sunday mornings at our church, this is what I want you to see. And I want to be super practical and I want to pray for us this morning. God's going to do something. Sunday mornings at our church, we have a number of fivefold office leaders. In fact, just this morning, you heard from Pastor Ruth, who is a fivefold prophetess. You heard from Pastor Chris, who is a fivefold shepherd. You heard from Pastor Aaron, who is a fivefold evangelist. Right now, you're hearing from me, a fivefold uh, apostle and teacher. I'm not plan on cover all five that are going to come every service, but I want you to know what we're saying. When we show up at church, we're not saying now the church is equipped. We're saying we want to make sure that there's space. So if you even wonder why we do our services the way they do, we do them. We want to make sure that every time there is space, because guess what? You, the church, don't need to hear me. We all need to hear Christ. And in hearing Christ, I'm going to have a picture that I bring to that that's valid, and there's going to need to be time and space. And so is Chris, and so is Aaron, and so is Ruth. So we make room for the fivefold leaders to do what? To give us marching orders. This is the pep rally. That out there is the game. What I would say is the missional community is the lab where the glory in you is actually discovered developed and deployed. In fact, I'll go a little bit further. You might be able to discover the glory in you here, but nothing we do on Sunday mornings is built to develop or deploy you what God called. Why? The grace in you developed and continued. If you don't understand that, you're going to continue jumping from church to pastor. Pastor's job good enough. Somewhere there was something else you wanted. The glory in you can actually only actually won't. So the last thing I want to do, and I know we're getting a little bit later here, but I don't want to miss a single thing God has for us. I want to walk just one very brief five grace. Because I told you that right now something is stirring in you, and I told you that if we would get in community, God would stir. But maybe you're at the place where you're like, gosh, Pastor Chuck, I love you. Everything you're talking about with a mission sounds like a pro. It just still sounds like, come on Sunday morning and come to this small group. And I've been to that. One teacher teaches a lesson, and somebody leads worship, and somebody leads in prayer, and it's nice, I guess, but it doesn't sound like it's accomplishing this Ephesians 4. I want to share with you how it needs to look. So if those graces are in you right now, I want you to think about those five graces, apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral teaching. I'm going to come back to this in just a minute, but I'm going to ask the question to you, which one of those graces has been in you for as long as you can remember? That you'd look and say, oh my gosh, that's how I see the world. Maybe which grace you'd look and go, oh, that's why that person annoys me. I've been blaming them. I need to go home and forgive them. They're just being faithful, and I actually need it. What grace right now when we talk about it is God starting to stir up in you that you're like, oh, man, that. I wish that would be true. I want you to have that in mind as we look at these five. So now here's what I want to do. I'm going to take those five graces, and we're going to step into a missional community. I want to look at apostolic grace in a missional community. If you step into a missional community at our church, I want you to know that it is led by someone. It's not just this thing where we're like, oh, just... Whoever wants to speak is going to speak. No, every missional community at our church will be led by someone because we believe there can only be structure, honor, and order where there is authority that is clear and everybody is respecting and agreeing. So there is a missional community leader, but in the past, people have expected, just like they did for their pastor, for the leader to be a certain thing. I want to tell you, your missional community leader might mostly be a shepherding person, they might mostly be a teaching person, they might mostly be a prophetic person. But the group can order and operate if you can know the glory in you, and these are the lanes where you are. So what do they look like? First, the apostolic grace in a missional community. Apostolic grace in a, in a community, again, this is the person who can lead and see the vision of what we're called to be specifically as a group of people together. 
These are these people in your group. They're going to be the ones that always want to make sure that you're staying true to the mission of the missional community, and they're constantly and continually affirming who we're specifically called to reach and who we're specifically called to be. If you look at our missional communities, you're going to find we have a whole lot of different missions in where we run. Apostolic leaders want to answer this question. If they get in a justice group, and I brought up Jonathan Hathorne last week as a perfect example of an apostolic leader in the kingdom. He was in a justice group that said, we want to be all about the orphan, all about the orphan, all about the orphan, all about the orphan. And Jonathan didn't say this, but I imagine at some point in his heart, something agitated him within to go, if I come into one more meeting where they say we're going to be all about the orphan when nothing's happened, I'm going to come unglued. Why? Because there's an apostolic grace in him that he can see. If you want to be all about the orphan, then we need to do X, Y, Z, and we need to stop doing A, B, C. And as an apostolic leader, because he has a healthy missional community, when he spoke up, they didn't go, well, Heck, do you think you are? Not the leader. He was the leader. But because they heard him, they recognized, oh, he has an anointing. He's not being critical of us in our mission. He's helping see something that we can't see, and we need the voice for justice, and we need Jonathan. So an apostolic leader, they're going to address and remove barriers that are hindering us from our goal. They're going to equip you to boldly prioritize what God's building and not drift from it. Some of you aren't in a missional community right now because you're an apostolic leader, and you've been told that being Christian means being polite and shutting your mouth, and you've walked into a place that's dysfunctional, and it keeps being dysfunctional, and so you just don't see a place for yourself there, and you don't want to be contrary, and you've stepped out. I'm going to say now's the season. You need to step back in because they're going to keep going there, and the blind will be leading the blind because they need an apostolic leader to step in and bring it. Okay, the second one. Is this okay? You guys doing all right? Okay. Prophetic grace. I was going to keep going anyway, but thank you. Um, <laughs> prophetic grace in a missional community. This person is constantly saying, remember we said a prophetic voice is constantly wanting us to slow down and making sure that we're hearing what Jesus is speaking from heaven. A prophetic person in your group is constantly calling the group to slow down, not only in meetings, but throughout the week. So I want to say this, missional community leaders, I want to take just a minute to equip you. If you have a prophetic person in your group, first of all, if you're a missional community leader and you believe I've got to have the vision and I've got to teach and I've got to lead worship and I've got to call everybody, I want to blow all of that up right now. It's burning you out and it's boring everybody else in the group because it's one shade of glory and it was never meant to be. So the first thing I'm going to tell you, if you're a missional community leader, you need to find the apostolic people in your group. You need to hear from them and you need to say, hey, whether you have confidence or not, you can see what's dysfunctional here. So before we move on anything, when we get a blueprint, when we get a plan, when we get a vision, we're stopping and we're asking you, what do you think we need to do? And we're going to lean in and listen and empower your voice. That's how things change for Jonathan Hathorne's group. The prophetic ones, this is what I'm going to say. You have prophetic people. You have the ones that are always just like, I just want to sit with Jesus five hours a day. I just all the time, I just want to hear the voice of God. I just want to be there. I want it to be amazing. What do you do with these people? You stop telling them that they're so heavenly minded that they're not of any earthly good. And you show up instead and say, you know what, we desperately need that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you place every week when we meet. There's going to be a space for you to lead, you to call us to slow down and hear what heaven is saying. I want to tell you every elders meeting that we have at our church, Michael and Kathy Tafflinger, who are um, prophets who lead among our elders, every single time we come together, before we go anywhere else about any other plan, Michael and Kathy lead us into a time of, we're just going to be still and hear what i got to tell you, because of that, every elder meeting I've ever gone to, God shows up. Incredible. Why? Because you've got to let the prophets. So prophetic people, what you need to do is you need to, if you find those people, you need to empower their voice, and you need to say, no, we're going to make space here. But listen, it's not just enough at the meeting, because the missional community is not a program. 
Prophetic people aren't just supposed to get you to a good Bible study every week. They're supposed to equip a grace in you so that all of us would become more prophetic and all of us would change the rhythms of our life that it's more natural for us to hear this, what the Spirit of the Lord is saying before we build on a faulty foundation. So what prophetic people are going to do is throughout the week, they're going to equip you to hear the voice of God and to obey what he's saying. These prophetic people will equip you to make space and to confidently hear and obey God. Third grace is this, evangelistic grace in a missional community. When you see these people, again, they're the ones that are fired up during this message series. The evangelistic grace, they're going to call people to focus passionately on our calling as missionaries to our family, our neighbors, our friends, our workplace. They're constantly going to be saying, what about those who don't know yet? What about those who are far away? What about those people who are at your job, in your city, this, that, the other? And you need to understand they're not being an annoyance and they're not being prideful. They're being faithful and you need them. So the job of an evangelistic voice is you need to equip them within your missional community and give them a voice where constantly they would speak. When you're planning, saying, these are all the things we're going to do, you better make sure that the evangelist sees that you're living incarnationally, that you're actually ordering your life, that your presence is available for people who are far from God. Because if that's not happening, right now the church is dying by the tyranny of the urgent. And by the way, we're dying by the tyranny of the urgent doing all Christian events. Why? Because we haven't listened to our evangelistic leaders. We haven't listened to people to say, hey, there's a whole thing going on outside here, and it's all about knowing your neighbor. And so if all these Christian events that we're doing, maybe we need to slow it down. You listen to that person, you equip them, and they'll show you how to intentionally order our priorities that we actually live what we've been talking the last. Pastoral grace in a missional community. Pastoral grace in a missional community. If this is you, if you're one of those people, what you need to understand is that you want more than anything to lead us to walk as a family and not just disconnected people on mission. That when you hear about this, some of you, as this has happened and we've gone more mission, I've heard from some people that have such a strong pastoral grace, and they said, I'm so excited about this, this vision for justice and this vision for the broken and this vision for this, but Pastor Chuck, we've got to make sure that we don't get away from seeing the people that God has already called to us and loving the people that God has already called to us. And again, if we're going to be a fivefold church, we don't say it's this or that, it's this and that. So what do pastoral voices need to do? Those people in your group, and I've got to tell you, I told you this is not high. On, on my priority list. So when I've led missional communities, this is the thing I most hated leading, as I'm just being as honest as I can. This is the thing that drove me nuts. When I was a youth pastor, when I've walked, even in leading our staff, this part of trying to equip the calendaring of everybody and making sure that we're a family, because I was the guy, and I don't know, this is a quick aside, this is a quick aside. I was the guy when I would come, that you ever have that birthday party where you invite, like, this group of friends, and then this one dude that doesn't know them, but like has been your best friend since third grade. You ever have that? Right? Some people, pastoral people get excited about that. They're like, oh, look, we're all going to be one family. Me, I'm like five alarm fire. That just frustrated me. And every time I'm like, I hate this. And so what I found for most of my ministry is the way that I lead, I call diverse people together. But when it's all been on my shoulders to go now, make all these diverse people see everything they bring one another, you be the point. What I found is I led a ministry, and I'm not kidding. Some people who are former youth can tell you this. I led a ministry without ever wanting to, where everybody centered and hubbed around me. And that when we stopped, everybody wanted to meet with me. What I finally have realized is I wasn't failing. I just needed some shepherds to be empowered. Shepherding voice in your missional community equips us, again, it's in our meetings, but also throughout the week to make sure that we are knowing each other connecting with each other, encouraging each other, seeing each other, praying for each other, and being available for each other. I would say if you have a shepherding person in your group, right now, immediately, let them lead the group communication. 
for when you're meeting, for how you pray for each other, for how you share testimonies, for what you do. Why? Because that's their glory and they're really good at it. You also want to make sure if you have a shepherding grace person in your group that you provide time every time you come together, that you get out of the way and you ask them, hey, right now you're going to have a better temper than anybody else if we're actually walking as a family. Every person in this room right now is doing I can't tell you how many times I've watched God move something so powerful. You're watching people come in the kingdom in a room where somebody's marriage is falling apart and nobody. Or you've seen somebody get healed over here and you're watching somebody who's been a longtime member wrestling with depression. They don't even have the strength anymore to cry out, why? Shepherds need to rise up because the shepherds are the one who will leave the 99 to go after the one. What you have to do is you have to be in community together where you elevate the voice of the shepherd. Last one is this, a teaching grace in the missional community. And then I'm up. Grace in a missional community. Can we get that last one? Thank you. They walk to be the voice to point people to our eyes on how to love, how to lead, and how to connect in ways that are consistent with the word of God, spirit of God. As I said before, apostolic leaders are going to be the ones to show up and say, here's where we need to move roadblocks and we need to go and we need to build. But it's the teachers long-term in your group that need to be in the details. They need to be in the point of how is it that we actually walk step upon step, precept upon precept, and make sure in every point that we're staying true to the word of God. Beyond this, the teachers in your group are the ones that you need to equip because, listen, the Bible continues to be the most widely sold and distributed book and one of the least read. Why? We need to equip teachers who actually love the word of God and they, they eat it up. Okay, teachers like a Nikki Hathorne. So I'll point on Nikki right here as she's going. You talk to Nikki for about five minutes about how much she loves the word of God and try not to have a deeper passion for it. Talk to her about the charts and the stuff that she's put together and where she's running. Right now, Nikki is running with me as a research assistant as we're writing a book, Reconstructing God. And she has such a passion that it ignites mine. You need people that would say, I found life in the word of God. And you might think it's as boring as like watching paint dry, but trust the teaching voice to say, hey, I'm going to unlock it. And I'm going to give you a voice to show everybody else how they can love the word of God. That's how we equip. So with that, as we look at the picture of where God has called us to go, all of these graces are in us. Some of them are very natural to us. Some of them God is raising up in this season right now. All of them are only going to be developed if we make an decision to walk in identifiable where the grace and the glory in you can come up against the grace and the glory in me and over time that we can walk in iron can be sharpening iron together. God has a vision for church that is bigger than one pastor it's bigger than a few celebrity leaders that are carrying a ministry. It's bigger than a Sunday service. It's a glory that every son and daughter would discover and develop and deploy so that Brandon, the Bay, and the beyond changed the church of our dreams, the church that's sent. I simply want to ask the question this morning, ready to go. As we come to the end of our time, if you just close your eyes for a minute, I want to give three very quick and very intentional invitations. I know that what we've done in our time together is we've looked at a very different picture of what the church needs to look like. I hope, like me, your heart has been lit up about the fire of Ephesians 4 and what we can look like. I hope, like me, that you can see that Jesus' plan on planet Earth to release revival and sustained revival is the church the multifaceted church. I hope somewhere this morning that you're actually believing in a new way. There's a glory in you 
that Brandon, the Bay and beyond is yearning for Christ in you, the hope of glory, and Christ in a community that he's called you to belong to, to release. So with that, I just want to give three quick challenges. Number one, this morning I want to invite you to discover you. On our website, iOverflowChurch.com, we've got a five-fold test that is put together from a friend in the ministry that will help you to understand the measures that have been stirring in you for as long as you can remember. It's a resource that's super helpful, but I want to remind you, maybe you've taken the test already, but God has you in a new season, and because these measures in you are intended to increase, there are times where God is going to put a different, a different dominant measure of grace in your life that he wants to release. I would encourage everybody this week to go and to take that five-fold test. But in that place in discovering you, this is a simple question I want to ask everybody in the room right now. You heard those graces, apostolic grace, all about building people up, seeing their destiny, removing roadblocks, prophetic grace, all about hearing the voice of God and releasing the power and the beauty of God on earth, evangelistic grace, all about seeing people far away from God who think that God is dissatisfied or disinterested in them, coming close, pastoral grace, the church of God being loved and each one being seen as family. No more of that person in our midst being depressed and being missed. Teaching grace. Church running after the depth of the intricacies of how we build the house to stand. Revelation and wisdom. I want to ask right now, which one of those stirs in your heart? If every person in the room, if you could just lay your hand on your chest. I'm going to ask right now if one of those is stirring in your heart. I'm just agreeing with heaven right now. Jesus, would you release a greater measure, greater confidence to them right now but you've called them to be. I'm asking for every person hearing my voice right now that you would release a greater measure of confidence and wisdom.